0: 11. To get our context here, First Peter 2:11. Beloved, I urge you, writes Peter, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father in heaven, you are the supreme ruler over all and your will for us is what we must strive for and live out during our pilgrimage on earth thank you that your word gives us clear and unmistakable directions on how to live out our lives open up this section of your word we pray to our understanding help us to grow Knowledgeable in the things of Jesus Christ, we ask in our Redeemer's precious name. Amen. Amen. One of the Apostle Peter's chief themes in this first letter of his to those churches in what is now present-day Turkey, one of his chief themes is the fact that God's people on earth have been transferred to a different kingdom. Though they still live out their daily lives here on earth, their real citizenship is now a heavenly one, not an earthly one. They are just here temporarily. He calls Christian people sojourners and exiles, pilgrims, strangers. That is, they are passing through This world on the way to a better city, a heavenly one, whose builder and maker is God. Christians have been delivered from the kingdom of Satan and placed into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is no longer our master, but Jesus is. An evil and cruel master has been replaced by a holy and good master. To serve the Lord Jesus Christ... On earth is a very good thing, is it not? Amen. Amen. Well, here's what I see is the theme of this passage today. We're looking at specifically verses 13 through 17. Here's what I see as the theme. <clears throat> Sojourners and exiles, that is citizens of heaven, while on earth, must submit to the authority of human institutions. So let's break this down. In other words, though we belong to a better and greater kingdom, we still live on earth and are still participants in the society and culture that God has placed us in. Mm -hmm. We're still under the authority of the earthly government and earthly rulers in which we find ourselves. So we have to respect and submit to these earthly authorities. Had we lived in years past, for example, if we had been one of those Jews who had been exiled after Babylon was, I mean, after Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. and carried off to Babylon, we would have been under the rulership of King Nebuchadnezzar, like Daniel and others. Had we been living here in America in the 13 colonies before 1776... Declaration of Independence, we would have been living under the kingship of King George of England. Had we been a Native American of the Aztec tribe living in central Mexico in 1519 when Hernando Cortes came in and conquered the Aztecs, our king would have been Montezuma II of the Aztecs. Well, we have to live under the particular government or king that the Lord places us in, in his sovereign will. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every, every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now this is rather amazing. Probably Nero was the emperor in Rome at the time of Peter's writing. And Nero, if you know anything about church history, was one of the persecutors of the church. He uh, hung Christians up on posts and burned them as uh, light posts in Rome. He was angry at the Christians. And as you know, Pontius Pilate was instrumental in crucifying Jesus Christ. But Peter says, you've got to be subject to these earthly rulers. Why is that? It's because human, and human emperors and governors were established by God. It's no accident who becomes president of this country or prime minister of a nation. We may not like the particular leader of our nation but ultimately it's God who places that person in that position. We have to recognize God's sovereignty and his purpose in all of this. Now, a very enlightening passage on this whole concept is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And we read it earlier but let me just point out some things about that passage it says let every person be subject to the governing authorities okay everybody nobody's exempt from that there's no authority except from god and those that exist have been instituted by god so all authority in human culture has been established by god whether in the home the workplace the government the military and it says in verse 2 Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, he's talking here about leaders, governments, governors, presidents, kings. They are an instrument of God to maintain righteousness and peace in society. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Well, pretty strong words here. The Apostle Paul was a very educated man. He was a Roman citizen. He knew well his culture. And he's telling the Christians, you need to honor and respect the government that's been placed over you. We have an obligation to respect and submit to earthly rulers. Once the Jews, who were opposed to Jesus, tried to put him in an awkward position by forcing him to either declare allegiance to Rome or not. So you remember what he did? He said, anybody have a coin here? So somebody handed him a Roman coin. And he says, whose picture do you see on this coin? And They said it's Caesar's. They said, okay, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. So he's establishing a principle there that there are certain obligations that we owe to the government, to Caesar at that time, but other obligations we owe to God. So it's legitimate to pay our due to both powers, to both authorities. Uh, We also read an interesting passage in Romans 17, verse 24, how it shows how Jesus respected the custom of paying the temple tax. Uh, It says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes, he does pay the tax. Well, how's a poor wandering evangelist like Jesus who doesn't have any income going to pay that tax? So Jesus said to Peter, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So by this miracle, Jesus paid the tax for both himself and For Peter, well, showing that Jesus respected the rules, the laws, the traditions at that time. Well, the lordship of Jesus Christ affects every aspect of our lives. Of course, it affects our relationship to Him and to other people, to our family, our Our boss, our co-workers, our neighbors, even the person that we run into or see in the aisle at Walmart, how we speak to them, how we treat them is a a reflection of our loyalty to Jesus Christ. Even how we treat animals. The Proverbs says, the righteous man regards the life of his beast. So a righteous man is not cruel to his animal, but respects and takes care of his animal. And even our own bodies. They're not our own, just to do with what we want, but they belong to God. They're temples of the Holy Spirit. The Lordship of Jesus Christ affects every aspect of our lives, including our relationship to the government. Okay. at the time of Jesus' crucifixion his life and destiny were subject to the Jewish Sanhedrin the council of elders and to the local government Roman authority under Governor Pontius Pilate although Jesus was unjustly condemned and tried he had to submit to those authorities but this was all in the providence and purpose of God. Later, the apostle Paul himself was tried by the Roman authorities. In Acts 25, we read about him coming before governor Festus. And so, Paul was given the chance to speak to the governor. And he says in Acts 25:10. Paul said, "I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer, have committed anything which I deserve to die, for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if, there, if there's nothing to their charges against me," No one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. He knew that if Festus sent him back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill him. So he appealed to Caesar. You see, Paul knew the Roman government, he knew the rules, he was a Roman citizen. And so he takes advantage of his citizenship and he appeals to Caesar. He's subjecting himself to the ruling policies of the Roman Empire. Verses 13 and 14 say, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor or to the governor. At the time that Peter was writing this letter, Nero, as I mentioned, was probably the emperor of the Roman Empire. When Jesus was crucified, Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. Well, Peter tells the Christians to be subject to these human human institutions. There's two major purposes for them being subject. You see, the Roman governors were appointed by the Roman emperor to punish those who did evil and praise those who did good. This is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Is it not? But sometimes it didn't work out that way. In the case of Jesus, Pilate, the governor, he knew Jesus was innocent, but he yielded to the pressure of the crowds that were screaming out, crucify him. But the point I want to make here is that we Christians are to submit to the authority of the secular government wherever we live. Now, this is not absolute submission. If the government tells us to shut our mouths and never speak of Jesus, no, we're not going to obey the government. But if they're asking us to follow reasonable laws and rules for the benefit of the society, yes, we should. We must obey the laws of the land pay our taxes, obey the traffic rules, and so forth. If we break a crime, we'll have to pay the penalty. The city of Dallas, for example, allows residents to water their lawns on certain days and at certain times only. Now, if I break that code, which I have done, and a law... A code enforcement officer drives by and sees my water running, he's gonna stop and give me a ticket. I'll get what I deserve. Well, for more serious infractions of the rule of the laws, if I drive drunk, I hit somebody, I'm gonna be guilty of maybe manslaughter, spend a decade or two in jail, lose my driver's license. If we murder someone, hopefully we won't. We'll go to prison or the electric chair. So these laws are set up to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. Laws are set in place to protect the public good. And those who break those laws have to suffer punishment. This is for the good and the order of society. Paul writing to Timothy advises him to tell the Christians there, he says in Titus 3, one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Some of the same major ideas in this passage. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be ready for every good work. Well, <clears throat> He says here at the beginning of verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So why are we subject to earthly rulers and governments? It's it's for the Lord's sake. That's the basic underlying reason. It's because we're committed to God, to His sovereignty, and we recognize that He's the one who's placed these earthly rulers in power. And by submitting to the earthly institutions we are submitting to God for he has ordered things in human society. Maybe I think the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, is charging too high a percentage on my income tax. I may not like it, but it's the law of the land. I can refuse to pay it. And may eventually end up in jail. Maybe I don't like having to pay taxes on our house to the school system, which we do. Don't have any kids in school, but we help maintain public education. Well, that's the way it's been set up, and we have to go by the rules and laws of the government. This is how God has ordained to provide for education public education. Well, the scripture says in verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So why don't we submit to human institutions, governments, rules? Because it's the will of God. It's not the will of God that we be rebels and troublemakers in society. Now, what follows here is an a indication, an a, a enumerating of several ways that Christians do the will of God. We do the will of God by submitting to human institution, institutions. Another reason we submit to the will of God is to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Foolish people had been slandering the Christians. Accusing them of all kinds of evil. They're accused of being atheists. Because they didn't worship the Roman gods. They're accused of, uh, at one point, of being cannibals. Because they heard about their religious ceremony in which they spoke of eating the body of and drinking the blood of Christ. Of course, they totally misunderstood the Lord's Supper. Early Christians were sometimes accused by the Jews of being lawbreakers because they didn't adhere to the law of Moses as a way of obtaining righteousness from God. But what does Peter say? Remember what he had said up above above in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, we should live our lives with honorable conduct, even though people may accuse us of some kind of evil, Because in time the truth will be known. You can't keep the truth hidden under a bushel. By submitting to the rules and laws of our society, we prove that we are law abiding citizens. We were not disruptive to society, but we're upholders of the laws and rules that we must all live under and operate under for the common good. If you go to Walmart and buy alcoholic drink, you have to show them your ID, no matter how old you are. That's the law. Why is that law? It's because they don't want young people to be getting alcohol because they tend to be irresponsible and drive crazy and cause wrecks. Yesterday, when I was there, there were a couple of 60 year old men. They were buying some alcohol. And so the young uh, guy working at Walmart had asked him for their ID, and they were all laughing about it. Like, you don't think I'm old enough to drink? And so, but that's the law, and so it has to be done. Now, verse 16 tells us another way in which we live for the will of God. It says live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, in the Roman Empire, slavery was a part of society. Very common. So when a person was freed from slavery, I mean, it was a fantastic, life-changing life changing of and sometimes a free slave would stay and work for his former master. So he became a servant rather than a slave. A change of status. So we Christians have been freed from the captivity of sin and placed under the lordship of Jesus Christ as servants of God. David Wheaton writes this, that Christian freedom, what is Christian freedom? It's the liberty to live as the servants of God, doing what God wishes, and not the license to do what one pleases, indulging sinful lusts under the pretext of permissiveness. Martin Luther said this, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, subject to nobody. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So on the one hand, he's free. On the other hand, he's a servant of all. Now, John Calvin gives us some enlightenment on this whole topic of what's meant here by freedom, Christian freedom. He says, Peter shows how far the liberty, the freedom of Christians differs from unbridled licentiousness. In the first place, Peter denies that there's any cloak or pretext for wickedness by which he means that we're not given liberty to hurt people, to abuse people, to take advantage of people, to manipulate people. True liberty is that which harms or injures no one. He says those who serve God are free. The immediate conclusion is that we obtain liberty from God in order that we may more promptly and more readily obey God. It's freedom from sin. And the dominion of sin is removed from us so that we can become obedient to righteousness. It's a freedom to serve God, to obey God. Before, when we were slaves of Satan, we didn't have that liberty. We were too enmeshed, too gripped, too brainwashed by sin to be able to obey God. Well... Jesus said in Matthew 5, Do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So the Christian is free to return kindness for abuse. We're not free to sin. We're free to live righteously before God. A holy life. This is a great freedom, a great liberty. Hallelujah! Amen. By the grace and power of God, we can live a life separated out from the sins of the flesh, sins of the world, sins of the devil. You see, along with sanctification, automatically comes rather, along with justification, automatically comes sanctification. It's all part of the same package. The justified person is a sanctified person and one who is growing in sanctification because we're being set aside by the grace and power of Almighty God to be his own special children and to reflect him more and more in the world. As the word of God works in our minds, renewing us and helping us to become more like our Savior. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we don't use our freedom as an excuse for sin, but we serve one another in love. Well, lastly, in verse 17, Paul, our Peter, gives us four specific ways that we can do good. Four specific ways we can do the will of God. Four specific ways we can be true servants of God. First of all, well, here's what they are. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So he says, honor everyone. Another place, the scriptures say, treat everyone with all courtesy. Even the beggar that comes up to you at the parking lot at Walmart and is dirty and unclean, And as for money, we treat them with courtesy. Everybody. The rich and the poor. Honor everyone. Because every person is a creation of God Almighty. He says, Love the brotherhood. Interesting here, he doesn't say, Love the brothers. Love the brotherhood. Love the community of faith. Yes, we do love one another specifically. But there's a love for the group, for the church, for the family of God that he's talking about here. We love the church. We love the people of God. Now, I want to read you a section from the Westminster Confession chapter 26 about the communion of saints because it has to do with love Okay, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head by his spirit and by faith have fellowship with him in his graces sufferings death resurrection and glory and being united to one another in love They have communion, fellowship, in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do lead to their mutual good, both in the inward man and the outward man. Saints, by profession, are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God, and in performing other such spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. Relieving each other in outward things, that is, physical, material things, according to their abilities. This communion, this fellowship, is the way that God offers us opportunity to extend love To fellow Christians, those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's the kind of love that Peter is talking about here. Love the brotherhood. And thirdly, fear God. We need holy reverence and awe before God. We need to fear offending him, of fear of disobeying him, fear of displeasing him. And then, fourthly, honor the emperor. We may not like the ruler over us. We may not like his policies, but we have to respect his office. We have to follow his rules, and laws as they work for the good of society and culture. So, these four short commands, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, could be seen as a summary of our basic obligations as Christians. You know, when the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 sent a letter to the Gentile churches telling them four practices they had to abstain from and they said like don't eat food offered to idols. That was one of the things. And then they signed the letter saying if you keep yourselves from these you will do well from these four negative pagan practices. Well, we could say in a similar way to fellow Christians, if you do these four things, if you honor everyone, if you love the brotherhood, if you fear God, if you honor the emperor, you will do well. Well, in our passage today, the theme is this. We Christians who are sojourners, exiles, citizens of heaven, while on earth, must submit to the authority of human institutions. Why do we do this? We do it for the Lord's sake. Because he's ordained, he has ordained these rulers and governments for the public good. We do it because it's God's will. It's how we're to live and get along in human society. And we do these things. We submit to these human institutions as servants of God. We're obeying these laws, submitting to these rules, not ultimately to please men, but to please God. So as sojourners and exiles on the earth, we marched to the drumbeat of heaven and heaven's Lord. And so this affects how we live under human institutions. We submit to them in the fear and love of God. And so our submission honors him, brings glory to him, and reveals to the world our true character as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, And people who seek to benefit society. So this is our calling. This is our obligation. Again. If the government. Tries to shut down the church. Or shut down the proclamation of the gospel. We're not obligated to obey them. But for these other. Rules and policies. Which make for public good. We need to. Submit to them. So to God be the glory in the church, among his people, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, our Father, that as citizens of this world and yet citizens of heaven, the roadmap is laid out for us how we are to respond. To the rulers, the human institutions in which we live. We pray, Lord, that we would be respectful citizens, people who honor you, and our relationship to the government and to the political leaders. We thank you, our Lord, that it's really to you that we are submitting to your sovereignty and governance of the world through human institutions. It's to you that all glory belongs. And so, Lord, we seek to